6, Part 1, from the sermon series, Acts of the Holy Spirit, spoken by Pastor Peter on. Remember the time when you were single? Maybe some of you, a lot of you in this room might be single, but remember the time when you were, when you were a kid? When I was growing up, as a teenager, I would dream regularly about the woman that would fall in love with me all the time. I thought about her beautiful smile and how no matter what kind of day I was having, even when it was a bad day, that I can just look at her and that smile would just brighten my day, my mood. I thought about that a lot. I thought about how this woman would believe in me more than I even believed in myself. In my dream, she'd be my biggest cheerleader. Just would applaud me and encourage me in the moments when I was so discouraged that she would say, Peter, it's okay, get up, you could do it, you could do it. Oh, I thought about that a lot. It's true love, right? I thought about how this woman would just embrace me for all my issues. She wouldn't try to change me or make me try to be a better person, but she would just understand my own brokenness and just let me be and accept me for just who I am. I dreamed about that, all right? I dreamed about every guy being jealous of me because not only was she the most beautiful woman in the world, but she had this inner beauty that matched it. Metro Community Church, I had a dream. I had a dream. What was so, what's so messed up about that? <laughs> Everything, right? Everything. I mean, just it's so typical of a lot of us when we think about the person that we want to love us or things like that. As we enter into a relationship for many of us, we often enter into it in such a way where we only think about what are some of the desirable traits that we want in that person so they can fulfill our need. Don't we do that all the time? Don't we start sizing up people and just wondering, should I pursue this relationship? Is there anything for me to get out of it? And a lot of times when you think about how we enter into relationships, it's such a myopic way. In many ways, it's such a reflection of how we enter into our relationship with God. Because for a lot of us, we enter into this relationship with God asking the question, God, how can you benefit from me? How can you bless me? And a lot of us were really honest, so we go to God with our prayers, and we have certain prayer requests that are important, yes. But we go to him and we pray, and we ask God to answer some of our prayer requests. We go to him and we ask God to forgive us of some of the sins that we've committed because we need to feel that God has forgiven us so that we can continue to move on in life. Some of us, we pray that God would open certain doors so that we can better advance in life. And so we have needs and we pray. Not necessarily bad things, but when you think about it, we really only pursue God in hopes of how he might be able to benefit us. Have you ever thought about what God is looking for in us? Have you ever thought about does God actually look for some things in us that he's hoping that we'd be able to bless him on? A couple things. See, a lot of us, I don't know if we do that. You see, the reason why is because a lot of Christians today, we unfortunately see, and we're in Advent, right? And so we're getting ready to prepare Jesus from coming into this world. And we see the incarnation when Jesus Christ came here 2,000 years ago. And we see the cross of him dying for us on the cross. And we see the resurrection really to be two major things that we benefit from. Number one, our sins are forgiven. Thank God. Thank God, because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, our sins are forgiven. And we've been taught that. And so that's about like 50% of why Jesus Christ came, so that our sins could be forgiven, so that we can enter into a relationship with God, so that we can experience God's love. Beautiful things. And then the other thing that we're taught about what Christ has done for us is that when we die, we go where? To heaven. Those are the two key tenets of what the theology of the atonement is really about. And I'm here to tell you that there's a lot more than just that. The key thing of why God sent Jesus Christ here 2,000 years ago, why Christmas is such an important day for us to realize, and why our Good Friday is such a key moment where God died for us on the cross through his son, Jesus Christ, and then Easter when he resurrected from the dead, isn't just so that our sins could be forgiven, yes, that's true, isn't just so that we can go to heaven, when we die, I mean, could you just imagine if that was just it? If that was all that there was to the Christian faith, our sins being forgiven and then going to heaven when we die, what do we do in the meantime? What do we really do in the meantime? And so what we see in the heart of the gospel message is to really embrace this truth that there really is nothing we can do to make God love us more. There's nothing we can do to make God love us less. But the heart of the gospel message, Metro, is that not only does God want to love you, but God wants to use you that he desires to unleash you for what? 
Jesus taught his disciples how to pray in the Lord's Prayer. Many of you know it. You used to recite it growing up. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on where? On earth as it is in heaven. Metro Community Church, on this day, I want you to know that part of the reason why God sent Jesus, one of the critical reasons why God sent Jesus to die for us on the cross and resurrect from the dead, yes, to forgive our sins. Yes, so that we can spend eternity with him. But more importantly, he wants you to establish his kingdom here on earth. Because there is a world out there that desperately needs to taste a little bit of what heaven is going to be like before they can give their lives to the Lord. And we have an amazing opportunity as Christians to be kingdom builders. That is the invitation that God has for us. The purpose of your life and my life is to be a kingdom builder for God. And the challenge is, will we rise up to that? Because if we don't pursue that, and all you pursue in life is is just kind of your own life, you just want God to kind of bless your life and your own will, that's really not the kind of life that I think God wants you and I to live. And we certainly won't be able to experience sort of the joy, the peace, and the hope that God has to offer us today. What are the things that God is looking for in a kingdom builder? That's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about what are the three things that God is looking for in a kingdom builder. And if you and I, I hope, today at the end of this service, you would commit yourself to being a kingdom builder, that you would possess or you would would desire to want to grow in these three critical areas of your life. God has called you and I to truly be a kingdom builder, to establish God's kingdom here on earth, and to really care about doing the will of the Father in our lives. I love Jesus, because when you read the Gospels, there is just litany of verses where Jesus always says, I have come to do the will of my Father. Even at Gethsemane, when he didn't want to die, and he goes to God, and he says, take this cup away from me, but not as I will, but as you will, God. May your will be done. Could you imagine going to God with that kind of posture in prayer? God, I have a couple prayer requests, but not, may not my will be done. May your will be done. Oh, that's just a deeper level of a prayer life. When we can submit ourselves to the very will of God and try to position ourselves so that we can fulfill it in our own lives. The disciples knew that Jesus Christ dying and resurrecting from the dead wasn't just so that they can go to heaven when they die. wasn't just so that their sins could be forgiven, but they knew that they were given the charge to establish God's kingdom here on earth. And Pastor Doug talked to us last Sunday, and he shared with us that all the disciples, unfortunately, all of them, ended up giving their lives for that. They were martyrs. And so what are the traits or what are the things that God looks for? Because not only does God want to love you, but he wants to empower you and unleash you to be a kingdom builder. What are those three things? Turn with me to Acts chapter 6, and we'll look at verses 1 through 15. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We would turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Procorius, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. That's interesting. A large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Verse 8, now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogues of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Sicilia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom the spirit God gave him as he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, we have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified. This fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face 
of an angel. This is the word of God. Let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer. So God, we come to you right now. We ask that you would reveal to us the deeper truths of this word. God, we thank you that, you know, this Christian faith isn't so complicated. It's actually quite easy to understand, but it's hard to live out. So I pray, God, that you would help us, Lord, um, as imperfectly as we do this, that you would allow us to try to have a desire to want to pursue this, regardless of even our imperfections. Thank you, God, that you don't just forgive our sins, and you don't just say, now wait till you go to heaven when you die. But thank you, God, that you give us an assignment to be kingdom builders. And I pray for everyone in this room today, God, that they would see this as your godly assignment, that their souls would literally jump out, and that you would revive something within their own hearts today, that they would fall in love with the task that you've given to every single one of us, to allow this place, planet Earth, to be a place where your kingdom is truly established so that your will can be done on Earth as it is in heaven. And so I pray, God, that the words that come out of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts in this room, I pray that it will be pleasing and a sweet fragrance unto you. And all of God's people said, amen. amen. And so at this time, what was happening was the church was growing at quite a rapid rate. And so uh, what, what was happening was that there were such a, a sort of a diversity of people that were coming to the church. And we find that there were two groups that were coming, the Hellenistic Jews and the Hebraic Jews. What was the difference between the Hellenistic and the Hebraic Jews? It was really language, okay? the Hellenistic Jews spoke Greek, so they attended the Greek synagogues, while the Hebraic Jews spoke Aramaic, right? It's closest to the Hebrew language. And so if you grew up in sort of a, a church, a minority church, and you attended a first, second generation church, you know how that's like? The first generation are like your parents who speak the native language, and then the second generation are the ones who speak English, right? And so that was kind of what's happening, and there were, there were some tensions that were starting to brew within the church. Because the greatest need of the church at that moment was, the, was to help the widows. The widows were Hebraic, they were Hellenistic as well, and they both needed food. And there was distribution of food that was being done every single day within the church. Remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the wealthy people in the church, that they would sell their property and they would give all that money to the apostles, and they said, give to anyone who has a need, right? Remember that? And so one of the ways in how they used those funds was to supply food for the widows. And what was happening was because the Hebraic Jews, I think, were kind of overseeing the distribution of the food, that they were making sure that their widows were being fed, but they did not give much mind to the Hellenistic widows. And so then the Hellenistic community got upset. And so they went to the apostles and they said, listen, this is messed up. Our widows need food too. The, the, the apostles knew that that was true, but they said, you know what? We cannot devote our time to distributing food. It wasn't that the distribution of food was beneath them, but they were good leaders. They realized that their time was limited. And the time that they needed to devote themselves was to studying God's word and to teaching it to other people. That was their chief task. And so they tell the church to select seven men, seven men to oversee this project. And these seven men were all Hellenistic, meaning they were all Greek-speaking Jews. And we realized that they were now caring well for their widows as well as the Hebraic widows as well. But there are three qualities that these men that these apostles were asking the church to pay attention to. And these are the three qualities that God is looking for in a kingdom builder. That if you ever wanna be a place, uh, if you ever wanna be a person that establishes the church to be a place where God's kingdom is established, these are the three qualities that, that, uh, that God's looking for. The first quality that God looks for in a kingdom builder is someone with a good reputation. Somebody with a good reputation. Now, unfortunately, the NIV doesn't translate verse 3 properly. They omit the two words, good reputation. But when you look at a more uh, literal translation in the English Bible, like the New American Standard Bible, which is literally a word-for-word -word translation in the Greek New Testament, which is the original language of the Bible, of the New Testament, this is what they say. I'm going to read it for you. Verse 3 of the NASB, it says, Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, that's number one, second, full of the spirit, and third, of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. Those are the three things in which God is looking for in a kingdom builder. And so the first is good reputation. Let's just talk about this for a moment. What does it mean to have a good reputation? Is it people just speaking very highly of you? That's not really it. Uh, somebody with a good reputation is somebody who is a unifier of the church. It's somebody who unifies rather than divides the church. Now, that's really important to notice. And, and the reason why this was number one on the apostles' list was because right now the church was on the precipice of division. Because the, 
Hellenistic Jews were getting upset at the Hebraic Jews. And so the first thing they said was, we need to find somebody who, is a, who has a good reputation, meaning somebody who is a unifier, not somebody who actually divides. That is such a key component. If you ever want to get to a place where you want to be used by God to be a kingdom builder, you have to be a unifier, not a divider. Why is that so important? Look at what Jesus says in John 17, verse 20 to 21. This is the last prayer that Jesus gave before he was arrested and then crucified on the cross. This is what he prays. He prays for you and me. This is what he says in verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Why does God long for unification amongst the people in the church? Because when we are unified, the world will know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Amen. Somebody say amen. amen. It's the truth, right? You see, I grew up, some of you, if you're new, you may not know, I grew up in a, in a physically abusive home. And when I was a kid growing up, I'd go oftentimes, I would frequent places like Great Adventure. And when I would go there and I would see families there and I see a dad like taking their kid and throwing him up on his shoulder and like, you know, twirling him around like this and the kid is having the time of his life, I would see that. And I would always say, I wish that was my dad. I wish I was a part of that family. Metro, when we are united, Jesus knows that when we're united as a church, when we come together and we are unified, you know what people outside the church is going to say? I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of that love because I don't have that kind of love and that kind of unification in my own life. I want to experience that kind of community. A kingdom builder is a unifier, is not somebody who divides. And so then how do we unify as a church? How do we do that? I'm really glad you asked that question. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, and let's look at verses 23 and 24. Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. Look at what Jesus says. He teaches his disciples this. He says, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or your sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. You see, as we do life together as a church, Yes, the church is a utopian community because of Jesus Christ being the head of the church. We established that a couple weeks ago. But please understand, just because Jesus Christ is the head, the people who make up the church are very imperfect, broken people. Amen? We all are. There's nobody here that's perfect, that have it all together. And so because we're broken, because we all have our own issues, as we do life together and as we're in relationships, it's a natural ebb and flow that we will hurt one another and wrong each other or we will be the one hurting one another or wronging one another. That's just a natural part of being in relationships with one another. And what does Jesus say how we are to handle that? That when that happens, when you feel like you've been wronged or when you have wronged someone, Jesus wants you to go and leave your gift at the altar and go make amends before you come back to worship him. Why does he know that? Because he knows how important oneness and unification is. That when the church is not united, when we're not united, then the world won't know that Jesus Christ is God. They won't. And we have to heed Paul's warning here in Ephesians 4, 26 to 27. Look at what Paul says to, uh, to the church in Ephesus. He says, in your anger, do not sin. That means you can't be angry and not sin. It's okay to be angry, but you just can't sin, all right? Uh, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. We've talked about this a lot. You see, when you have bitterness and anger towards somebody who might have wronged you in the church, the devil has you right where he wants you. And he's going to use that bitterness and that anger over time because you're not going to deal with it in any way. You're just going to kind of hold it in here. It's, what it's going to do is going to infect others and you're going to bring division within the church. It happens all the time. And a kingdom builder is somebody who recognizes that and is willing to do whatever it takes to bring unification back into the community, that they will go to the ends of the earth to make sure that that happens. Those with a good reputation are unifiers. They're not dividers. And so I ask you today, who in this church has hurt you? Or who have you hurt? A kingdom builder is somebody who is willing to meet up with that person and connect with them and say, hey, can we talk and do whatever it takes to share your own heart, how you felt, 
but to reconcile the best you can. God will do the reconciliation. You just have to set up the meeting. God will take care of the rest. Stephen knew that there was an injustice that was happening in the church, and so he was one of the Hellenistic Jews that actually went to the apostles and said, something has to be changed. You've got to take care of our widows right now. And as a result, he ended up getting chosen because he was a unifier. He saw an injustice happening, and he ended up doing something about it. Many, many years ago, uh, there was, uh, I was in my office, and I decided to print something, and our printer is like in the main central area of our office space. And so as I was going to get my paper uh, that I was printing out, in one of our vacant offices, I heard somebody in there yelling. And I thought, whoa, that's interesting. I wonder who that can be. So I asked someone, one of our staff members, I said, who's yelling in that room? And they said, it's Pastor Clay. I'm like, no, it's not Pastor Clay. You know Clay? Clay is so like mild-mannered. He doesn't have like, you don't ever see me yell. I've never, all these years I've known, I've never heard him yell once. So I said, that's not Clay. They said, no, it's Clay. We saw him go inside. I said, well, I'm going to sit here and wait and see who this person is when they come out. I don't think it's Clay. Clay doesn't yell. And he opens the door and guess what? It's Clay. And I go to him, I go, Clay, who possibly could have gotten you that angry that you actually yelled at this person on the phone? And he said it was somebody on staff. And I was like, what? He said it was somebody on staff. I felt like an injustice was done to me. And I had to let that person know how I felt. Because if this person, if I'm supposed to be in community with this person, because he's on our staff, and if I have to love him, I'm not going to just sit back, and I'm not just going to let him do this, but I'm going to share with him how I feel, and I'm going to share with him what I felt when he shared what he shared with some people on our staff about me. And I remember giving him a high five, and I said, you are the man. I cannot believe you care so much about unity like that. He really, truly cared about unity and the preservation of the unity amongst our staff. So much so that he was willing to go and sit, talk with this person on the phone and share with this person what he did to him. And they were able to work it out and they were very good friends after as well. See, that's somebody with a good reputation because that's a person who unifies and who cares about it and is willing to put themselves out on a limb for it. And so who do you need to connect with today? Who do you need to potentially talk to to be a unifier? Because if we're not unified, Metro, people are not going to believe Jesus is real. They're just not. This world is so good at living in this unity. And if we can't do it with Jesus, how can they say, how, how would they believe in our God if we can't be unified? If this Jesus Christ truly did come and die for us on the cross and resurrect from the dead, we have to be about unification. We have to be about being united. That doesn't mean we have to agree with everything that we talk about or share, but it means that we'll support and love, and when we are wronged or we feel like we've wronged someone, that we do something about that. That's what it means to be unified. All right? That's the first thing that God looks for in a kingdom builder. The second quality that God looks for in a kingdom builder is someone who is full of the Holy Spirit. Someone who's full of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 8. Now, Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Stephen wasn't just distributing food. God was using him to do miracles. Great miracles were happening because he was so filled with the Holy Spirit. And then look at verse 15. Interesting. The Sanhedrin Council, you know, is the Supreme Court in Jerusalem. And they were bringing some serious accusations against Stephen here. Serious! Which infuriated the courts. But look at how the Sanhedrin Council saw him in verse 15. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that, this, that his face was like the face of an angel. Ain't that crazy? Because eventually, next chapter, you're going to see what happens to Stephen. But at that moment, when they looked into his face... They saw a face of an angel. Now, what was that, like a calm, gentle-looking spirit about him? No, that, that's not exactly what they saw. What they saw in Stephen was they saw a face that was filled with God's presence where they could see the light of Jesus inside of him. That's what they saw because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, how can we be filled with the Holy Spirit like that? It's about us being devoted to having a deep prayer life. Prayer is power. Prayer is the power of God being infused within our lives so that it can fill us, so that we can continue to experience and be filled with it, so that we can go out and love and be kingdom builders. Somebody say amen to that. Amen. That's what prayer is truly about. 
And you see, when we don't pray, that we don't get these opportunities to be filled with the Holy Spirit because that's what prayer does. When you and I intercede, in fact, even, even in, the, in the Bible, we learn that even if you don't know what to pray about, what does Paul say? Just pray in the Spirit because the Holy Spirit will pray on your behalf. That's what he says. And so we are to pray. Some of you say, well, I don't know what, I don't have anything to pray for. Just pray. The Holy Spirit will help you to pray. You see, every single one of us, if we contend that we have, that we believe in Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. That is a theological truth. We all have the Holy Spirit inside of us. But some Christians have more than others. Because there's this thing in the New Testament that teaches us that we are to constantly ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It was in the present tense. Whoa. <laughs> Y'all know you better pray. <laughs> That's crazy. Who hit that button by mistake again? Was that David a couple weeks ago? He's not back there. Okay. <laughs> all right. It's all right. But, but you get the point there, right? Prayer is so powerful because it allows you and I to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the best way that prayer is. And prayer is just that powerful. Jesus believed in that prayer. Remember in Mark 9 when the disciples tried to cast out that demon of the boy? He had a demon, they couldn't do it, and they bring him to Jesus, and Jesus does it like that. And they say, Jesus, how'd you do it? How did you do it, Jesus? And look what Jesus says in verse 29 of chapter 9, Mark. This kind can only come, come out only by prayer. Amen. This demon can only come out by prayer. Jesus believed in the very power of prayer, and that's why he prayed. And so we as a church have to come together and we have to be devoted to our own prayer life, not just by ourselves, but together. And we have to be willing to pray for the church. And I think the impetus on this passage is a little bit more towards the leaders of the church. If you are a leader of this church, meaning you lead some ministry or you help out facilitating some ministry, more than you trying to just get more people to volunteer in your ministry or, or you want to just grow this thing, more than you just want a community to be experienced in this community, our number one task as leaders is to make sure we're praying for our people. That we are praying that God bless them, that God would lead them, and God would strengthen them in every way. That we do it. Samuel the prophet saw that if we were not doing that, as leaders, we're sinning. Look what he says in 1 Samuel 12, 23. This is what Samuel the prophet says. He says, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. And so a leader's task is very important in the church. Our task is that we are to make sure that we pray for our people that God would watch over them, that they would understand the depth of what it means to follow God, that they truly can become a kingdom builder. James 5, 16, it says, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. This is God's word. And if we're just honest with ourselves, maybe the reason why we don't pray is because we don't really believe in the power of prayer. And maybe the reason why we don't pray is because we think we're God. Because people who really pray, they know that they're not, and they're in dire need of one in their lives. And so maybe the reason why we don't pray much is because we feel like we kind of got it and we can handle our life the way it is today. Jesus prayed for Peter in Luke 22, verse 31. He says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. Jesus prayed for every single one of us in John 17. If you ever get a chance, read John 17 and listen to the prayer of Jesus before he was arrested and then eventually crucified on the cross. Moses spent 40 days and 40 nights in prayer, interceding for his people, pleading with God to have mercy on the sins of his people. Paul mentions praying for his recipients in 10 out of his 13 letters. The biblical evidence is overwhelming. It's undeniable that the most important task of the church and its leaders is to pray for one another. And if you're a leader, can I just, I implore you, can we come together and begin to pray for the people in which you lead? Pray that God would bless them, that God would strengthen them, believing that as we pray, you know what happens? That their lives are blessed, but then we fall deeper in love with them. Prayer is one of the best ways in how you fall in love and care for your people. And so can I encourage you to believe in the power of prayer because kingdom builders are prayer warriors. You can't build God's kingdom unless you pray because you can't, you can't do it without the Holy Spirit. And so if the Holy Spirit is not filled within you, you cannot be a kingdom builder. And so may you enter into this place of prayer. We have Wednesday evenings, prayer service at 7.30 p.m. at our office, and then we do Friday mornings. Oh, okay, yeah, there's a people who really love it. 
And then for those who don't like staying up late at night, uh, we have Friday mornings, 6 a.m. at the church office. There you go, Mama. Thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you. But we do try to come together as a body to pray. Pray for you. Pray for our church. And I believe that when our church comes together and we pray, God does some amazing things. Do you know that we're here because of prayer, this school? For those who've been with us, and many of you have not been with us for over 10 years, but for those who've been with us for over 10 years, you know the story of how we got in here. Do you remember that time? We were at Lincoln Elementary School. The school sold that building to the, board, to, to the, uh, to, to the city, and then they said that now we gotta leave. And we're like, we don't have a place to go. And so they were building up the school. And I remember going to like, the, the, I, went, I remember going to the board of ed, to our fa- the facility managers for, this, for the board of ed. I went, I saw him at least once a week because he didn't respond well to emails or my phone calls. And I would say, hey, how's it going? Did you guys vote yet if we can be in the school? He said, not yet, not yet. We waited several months. And finally, when the school moved out, the city said, you gotta leave too. And I had to go to the mayor's office And I met with him, and I begged him. I said, please let us stay for a few extra months. We're going to pay you. Please let us stay in this place because we have no place to go. We felt God was calling us to this community. And you know what we did? We got our partners to fast and pray together that God would open a door that where we can get Greco Elementary School, and it happened. And make no mistake about it, if it wasn't for prayer, where God's people came together and prayed that God would open up a door for us to do that, it would not have happened. We believe in the power of prayer. I hope you do as well. And the next thing that we need to come together as a church on and pray for is that God would open a door where the city would be able to give us Liberty School. That's our next big prayer request. Will you join us regularly and pray that God would give us an opportunity that he would give us Liberty School? I hope you believe in the power of prayer because when we do, like Stephen, he was so filled with the Holy Spirit. Even though the Sanhedrin Council wanted to kill him and they did later, I don't want to ruin that, but they do later. (laughs) They saw him and they said that because he was so filled with the spirit, it was as if they saw the face of an angel. All of you have the ability to have an angelic face today. But it's going to require you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You have to pray and believe in the power of that. And I hope you will. Those are kingdom builders. The last thing that we see, the third quality that God looks for in a kingdom builder is someone who is filled with wisdom. Someone who was filled with wisdom. Verse 9. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Sicilia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Stephen had some serious wisdom, Metro. You need to know this. In fact, he had more wisdom than the apostles did. And that's saying a lot, but it's the truth. You see, Stephen was the only one in the church because he was so filled with wisdom when he came to the understanding that there is no way that Christianity can exist inside the Jewish faith. Up until this time, all the Christians were going to the synagogues. Up until this time, all the Christians were going into the temple. Peter, James, John, all of them, they didn't know that they couldn't do that. They thought it was fine, especially in verse 7 when it said that more priests were coming to the faith. When more priests became Christians, it only strengthened the temple order. And so all of them just continued to exist, expressing their Christian faith inside of Judaism. Stephen was the only one that was so filled with God's wisdom. He said, no, the temple is no longer significant. And guess what? The Mosaic laws are not as important anymore because of Jesus Christ. And that's why they got so angry at him. And then they started to accuse him. And look at what it says in verse 13. How do we know that this is what Stephen said? Because they accuse him of this. Look what it says in verse 13. It says, they produced false witnesses who testified, this fellow never stopped speaking against the holy place, and that's the temple, and against the law, which is their Bible, the Torah. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place, the temple, and change the custom Moses handed down to us, the Torah. All right, now I know it says false witnesses, but it doesn't mean that the testimony was false. The content of what they were saying was 100% accurate. That's why he died in chapter 7. But there were these false witnesses that they got to sort of create this kind of rally against him. Stephen, if it wasn't for Stephen, Metro Community Church, we don't know how many more years, decades, or centuries the church would have existed within Judaism. He had a wisdom like none other more so than even Peter and the apostles. How did he get that? He knew the word of God. And you're gonna see that in the next chapter. You're gonna see Peter's 
prayer life, and you're going to see his word. In fact, listen, let's put the hat of grace on. For some of us, if we're just honest, the Bible is boring. And we read it, and it's like it's not, and you know, we don't, we're not a reading generation. Everyone watches now. Nobody reads, right? It's not. And if you read chapter 7 of Acts, you almost don't have to read the Old Testament. It is so thick with biblical interpretation and an amazing summation of the entire Old Testament that Stephen sums up. The man knew his Bible. Not only did he know it, but he knew how to interpret it in such a way that he was able to help people navigate life. And he certainly helped the church navigate and where they finally came to the realization, Stephen is right. The church could no longer exist within Judaism. And they eventually broke off and they had to become their own faith in God. We don't know how long the church would have continued in the way of Judaism had it not been for Stephen. My New Testament professor said Stephen is the hero in the New Testament and there was only one and a half chapters devoted to him in the entire Bible. And he is the hero of the New Testament. The Bible, if you allow the Holy Spirit as you pray and the Holy Spirit fills you, but as you pray that the Bible will speak to you, you will begin to see how God will begin to speak to you through it, all right? Look at what it says in Mark uh, 13, 2. Stephen knew the Bible so well that he knew that there's no way the temple would exist because Jesus says that. He teaches that to the people, to the Jewish leaders as well. He says, Jesus says in Mark 13 too, he says, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. Mark 14, 58, Jesus says, I will destroy this temple made with human hands and in three days we'll build another not made with human hands. See, Stephen knew that there's no way, there's no way that the temple, that the faith of Christianity can exist within Judaism because the temple no longer is the staple of our Christian faith. It's Jesus Christ. Jesus is the new temple. And he came to that understanding and he began to teach that. And so really the impetus is this, that not only are we to like know the word of God, but we should get to a point in our lives where we can teach it to other people. Yes. That's when you know you really know the word of God, is when you could begin to teach it. My son currently works with uh, somebody in this church who used to be an amazing baseball player, and he's older now, and he takes him under his wing and he works with him every week. He practices, he teaches him how to play baseball. And he told me recently, he said, hey Peter, I want, Christian to help me teach softball to these little girls that I'm working with right now in our town. And I said to him, I said, why do you want him to do that? He said, because it's only when you teach something will you really know it. And when he teaches people how to play the game, that's when he's really going to be an expert of it. And so he's going to start teaching these little girls now how to throw a ball, how to hit a ball, how to field. He's going to be teaching in hopes that he will begin to grapple, grasp, and really become an expert of the game. You know you know the Bible when you can actually teach on the Bible. Now, I'm not saying you got to have like a small group or have a biblical class that you got to teach like some of our pastors. No, because Stephen wasn't doing that. You know what it's really about? It's about your ability to be able to speak of it or pontificate of it when people share stuff with you. You see, as you can start speaking about the Bible, because hopefully as you have relationships with people, they're not just all superficial, but that some of your friends will actually share with you some things in their lives, some challenges that them, they might be going through. And as they do that, then those are the moments where you can go to them and begin to start speaking to them the words of God, how that's impacted your life, how that's informed you and helped you to live your life where you are right now. That is sort of the goal. And so you know you really know the word of God when you can begin to teach it at that level. And so I want to encourage you guys, may you fall in love with scripture, pray, because prayer is power of the Holy Spirit. Before you read the Bible, I encourage you to say, God, Holy Spirit, speak to me through your word. And I promise you, God will. Ask yourself two questions as you read it. God, what do you like in this passage? And based upon what I'm learning about you in this passage, how do you want me to live now? That's a great way to study the Bible and to get into it and eventually where you would know it so well that you can interpret it in such a way where you can help people to live life better. The author of Psalms says this in Psalm 19.7. He says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. If you ever feel burnt out, you know how you revive your soul? The word of God. If anyone ever comes against you and hurts you, say things to really, really impact you negatively, look what Psalms 119.92 says. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my afflictions. Interesting, isn't it? How do we deal with the afflictions of life? The word of God. Because it can become, when we find delight in the word of God, we truly are a kingdom builder. Yes. 
you and I become a kingdom builder. God wants to unleash you today. He's inviting you. Will you be a conduit of his grace where his kingdom could be established through your life? Whereas people come in contact with you, they will get a little taste of what heaven is like. Will you, do, will you be able to do that? Will you accept that today? You have to be a unifier. You gotta have that reputation where people see you as somebody who brings people together. And even if they're wrong, that they will go and make it right. You have to be filled with the spirit in the sense where you can pray and pray f- to God and pray to the Holy Spirit to fill you. And that you tap into the power of that because there'll be moments when you start doing things for God and you don't even know what you're doing, but you know that it's so right and it's so God doing it for you. And it's when you are filled with wisdom, you know things about God because you spent time in the word and you're able to apply it to your life and help others to apply it so that they don't have to live the downward spiral life that they're living. It's an invitation for you and I to establish God's kingdom here on this earth. Will you be God's kingdom builder? I hope you had a good Thanksgiving. Mine was a very, my Thanksgiving was extremely eventful. In the beginning, uh, in the early end of the day, my sister came up from Cherry Hill and we, uh, you know, we celebrated Thanksgiving together as a family. We went and go visited my father at his grave, just kind of remembering. Uh, it's been three years since he had passed. And then we went and we had lunch. And then we came to our house. We hung out for a few hours. And they left sort of like mid-afternoon because um, my sister had to go to her in-laws. And then late afternoon, uh, we went over to my sister-in-law's house because my sister-in-law's, uh, my wife's family, they all got together. And this was one of those momentous occasions in my wife's family. It was the first time in 21 years since the entire family came together for Thanksgiving. My wife has an older sister. She lives out in Michigan. She's got four children and, of course, a husband. And they decided for the first time ever to come down and to spend Thanksgiving with our family. This was a momentous occasion in my wife's side of the family. So much so that we had started talking about this for months. And my brother-in-law, you know, I always kind of joke that my wife's family's like the mafia. And, uh, you know, the godfather's son, he suggested that, um, that we all sleep together in one home on Thanksgiving. Just because of the significant day that that is for our family. 22 of us in one house, is what he was proposing. I said no. (laughs) If you guys want to sleep together, that is fine, but I'm going to be sleeping on my bed, all right? I'm not sleeping on the floor, and my brother-in-law said, no, no, we don't expect you to sleep on the floor. You can sleep on the couch. I said, no, I'm not sleeping on the couch. I got a really nice bed 10 minutes away from that house. I will go there, I'll sleep, I'll come back in the morning, everything will be fine. They said, this is such an important occasion. We have to sleep together. You gotta join us. And I just said, no, listen, I'm a man, I'm an adult. I am not gonna sleep with 22 people in the same house. It's just insane. It's not even a big house, all right? So we're not, I'm not gonna do it. And, uh, and then I thought, oh, wait a minute. I said, I have a dog. I gotta go home and walk the dog, okay? I, even if I wanted to sleep with you guys, I can't because I got to take care of my Kobe. And you know what they said? No, we want Kobe to sleep with us in the house as well because he's part of the family. I'm thinking, no, I can't even use Kobe as an excuse. And two days before Thanksgiving, I still told my wife, I'm not sleeping there. And then my wife told me that my brother-in-law told her that if I didn't sleep with them in that house, that he will never do another favor for me for the rest of my life. And here's the thing. That man does a lot of favors for me, all right? He is super handy. He puts up the Nest thermostat a couple weeks ago in my home. I don't know how to put up a thermostat in my home. He came, he did it all, and I just kind of handed him like the screwdriver and stuff like that. I was his assistant. Every time I need him and I call him, he always says yes. And so that was a real threat. And I thought, whoa, he's not going to do any favors for me if I don't sleep over? That's kind of messed up. Then my pride kind of set in. I said, I can't let him threaten me like that. I'm still not going to sleep over at the house. And two days before Thanksgiving, I was in prayer. And as I was in prayer, God really challenged me. He said, why are you being such a big baby? Yeah. <laughs> wow. I wasn't expecting you to affirm that, church. <laughs> (laughs) 
I can't even continue anymore. That was, that was, so, con- that was so condemning. <laughs> but he said, why you got to be such a big baby? Don't you love your brother-in-law? And of course, I, 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 I take a bullet for that guy. He's such an amazing man. Then why is it so important for you to sleep in your own bed? Just sleep together in the same house together. And I did it kicking and screaming. I was like, I can't believe how much we got to pack. We got to pack for Kobe. This is crazy. Look at my luggage. To pack just to sleep there for one night. I get to the house. My wife tells Juan that I was complaining the whole time of how much we had to pack. And he goes, well, he can sleep two nights then if he wants. (laughs) He's on all that packing. But I slept. I slept with the whole family that night. I slept on the floor. They gave me a mattress. I slept with my daughter, Christina. My nieces slept in the same room with me. And none of them could sleep because they said I was snoring so loud. Oh, they suffered. They suffered. My brother-in-law, Juan, he suffered because the boys didn't sleep and the phones went off, the alarms went off. He said he didn't sleep all night. We all suffered at some levels together. But because it was a momentous occasion, they were so willing to do it. Amen. They wanted to do it. They realized that without suffering, they, re- they realized that it wouldn't be a special moment for them. And so they forced me to suffer with them. <laughs> 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ came into this world. And you know what his number one message was? It wasn't love each other. It wasn't forgive each other. But his number one message to everyone who heard him was, the kingdom of God is here. That was his message, Metro Community Church. And when he died and he resurrected from the dead, he gave us that charge. He's saying, will you go out and let people know that the kingdom of God is here? Will you sacrifice for it? Will you see it as a momentous occasion that will require you to center your entire life, everything around that one purpose in which God created us for, to let people know that his kingdom is truly here today. May you accept it. May your soul be alive with the spirit right now and may you be filled with him. May you have a passion for the wisdom of God and may you take a unification seriously. May you be a unifier and not a divider. And I pray that we too would be able to be like the disciples and we'll be able to pray, thy kingdom come, God, on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Let's pray. So can you be a kingdom builder today? God's not going to force you to do that. And he will never love you more or less if you choose to do it or not. But it's really about your life, about you experiencing the holisticness of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. The cross wasn't just to forgive you of your sins and for you to go to heaven when you die. Gosh, the life of Christianity would be so boring if that that was all that was to it. And because a lot of times that's all we've been taught growing up in the church, we're so fixated on our sins. And when we sin, we feel like we're like this horrible person because all we focus on is sin and the afterlife. There's so much more to our Christian faith than just that. That today God's inviting every single one of you to be a kingdom builder. To live out how Jesus lived his life here on earth and how the disciples did. That we would be used by God as a conduit to establish God's kingdom on this earth as it is in heaven, and that we would really care about doing his will and not our own. And so go to him. Place your faith and your trust in him. But most of all, be a kingdom builder. Commit yourself to being a kingdom builder today if that's what you want to do. Go to him and then I'll just close this in prayer. kind of like what I experienced with my own family. I was being such a big baby. I was complaining. I thought about just my own needs, my own comfort, without really understanding the depth of what it meant for my family, of how important it was for everyone to be together in one home and, and sleep one night, even if it meant that we would all suffer together. God, help us to see this invitation the same way. Sometimes, God, we get so focused on our own self and our own needs. 
Sometimes we focus on our faith in you, just having you bless us, that we even forget, God, that you want us to be a blessing to others. And now so much about our life and our faith in you is about being that blessing and being a kingdom builder. And so I pray for anyone in this room today, God, they're at a place where they're sensing your spirit inside of them. I pray, God, that you would deliver them from their, their, just their own way of living. And they would know that there's more to life than just their life right now. There's more to life than just their kids, just their jobs. There's a lot more than just that. Would you help us to live out the purpose that you've created us for, to establish your kingdom here on this earth so that people would know that you truly are the Son of God. God, unify our church. We don't all have to love, like each other, but we do have to love each other. So teach us how to do that. And I pray that if we've wronged one another, we've hurt one another, or whatever it is, God, that we would really care about bringing, preserving the uni unity of this church by dealing with those offenses that we receive, that we've given in a proactive way. And so God, thank you for this time. And I pray that even now, as we are ready to receive you through communion, that you would just speak and minister to all of our hearts today. In your name we pray, amen. Hey, can you flip over your communication card really quickly? First one is I'm committing my life to Jesus for the first time. If you've never done that, we'd love for you to take that step today. And if you have, check that off and make sure you visit the next table before you leave today. Second, please sign me up for the Caring Hands Ministry. We have a wonderful ministry led by Mama Moore. It's the Caring Hands Ministry, and it's a ministry in which where there's people in our church that have needs. There are people in our church that go through some hardships, and it's an opportunity for us to help them, serve them, whether it be buying them a dinner and sending it to their home and visiting them, whether it be visiting them at the hospital, whatever it might be. But would you think about being Jesus' hands and feet? Would you think about that and just check that off and then go out to the table today and sign up to be a part of the caring ministry? Third, I will attend the Wednesday evening or Friday morning prayer service, that you would be diligent about that. And give it four weeks. Try it out for a month. See what happens. See what happens. Fourth, I'm going to attend the Audio Bible Club at 11.30 on Thursdays. If you can, if you're around, 11.30 a.m., we come together as a community. We listen about an hour's worth of the Bible, partaking and learning of who God is through it. I invite you, and then we'll eat lunch together. It's a really awesome time. Uh, last, please sign me up for the partnership class on December 9th, or if you've attended the Connections Dinner, and uh, I'd love to invite you to, to learn about what it means to be a partner, to be a part of this, because partners are unifiers. And that's one of the reasons why you should be a partner, because it's your pledge to say that you will be a unifier of this church rather than a divider. And I hope that you would consider being a partner here at Metro. Next Sunday, it'll be in my home on December 9th, but you gotta take the Connections Dinner before you do the partnership, because it's just sort of like an important process for us.